The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. All right, everybody, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5 today. We've been going through 1 Timothy for several weeks now, and we've concentrated a lot of our attention each time on the section right in the middle of the book where Paul explains what this letter is all about. And sometimes you read through different sections of books of the Bible and you're like, and this is kind of a hard teaching or I don't really understand what this the purpose of this is or why this is important enough for him to mention or whatever and understanding kind of the context and background of books helps, but also understanding uh, the purpose, which sometimes is informed by the context and background is valuable. And here Paul gives the purpose for why he was writing this at the very beginning of the book. He told Timothy, Hey man, watch out. There's people there in Ephesus in the city where I left you that are teaching false doctrines. That's not pushing people toward love for God out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, but it's actually just stuff people are saying that's producing quarrels and destruction and pushing people actually away from the faith. And this letter was written to combat some of the influence of those people. He says in chapter three and in verse 15, uh, we'll start in verse 14. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. So Paul says, Hey, I an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want to come to be able to help deal with this stuff. But actually, you can deal with it without me, he basically says, because in verse 15, he says, in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So one, he says, there's a way that we're supposed to live and not live. And that matters. And two, the way that we are or are not supposed to live is informed by the relationship that we have to God through Jesus Christ. We need to know how to live in God's house. And so a lot of the instructions we've looked at in First Timothy these past few weeks, the ones that we run into are like, man, that sounds it's very like maybe to our ears culturally backward or just strange or whatever. Well, if that's how you feel, maybe that's because you're operating your house differently the way God operates his house. Paul said, here's what I'm telling you about how God operates his house. And we need to get on board with that. So some of that's more or less challenging for us. Uh, but that's kind of the, the big picture context of this letter and what it's all about. And we're going to focus today specifically in First Timothy 5 on some of the ways that living in God's house plays out in terms of our relationships and the way we treat each other as, uh, as family. Uh, what else can we say before we set up uh, chapter 5, Caleb? What else is uh, some background stuff be good for us to think about? Um, well, I was just thinking about today um, that Timothy's kind of in a tough spot here. Because he's been put there by Paul with like this great responsibility to command and teach some things. And yet it seems like he's young too. <laughs> so like uh, right. it's kind of a tricky, precarious position to be put in, um, which is why Paul has to say, let nobody look down on your youthfulness. But I think one of the things that we've seen in the last few verses, we talked about this last week. We're going to see this more again in, in the beginning of chapter five is that, uh, you know, how do you handle being in a tough spot where you're, you're, you have this responsibility to preach and teach and serve, um, but you're also serving people that a lot of times are older and, and, and in many ways, like more experienced in life than you. Um, and some of those people are surely going to look down on you because of that. Um, how do you handle that? And it's, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, Paul's, it seems like Paul's trying to tell Timothy, like, hey, you, you don't handle that by getting bitter. Uh, about how people treat you. You don't handle it by trying to lord it over the church. You don't handle it by trying to insist on your own way. Um, the way you handle that is is by setting an example and by the way by letting the way you approach different people in the church be affected by their age or their gender um, and, and experience. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, more today. So sweet. All right. So with that. Uh... Let's pray before we get into it. And then we'll read. Uh, how far do you think we should read, Caleb? How far do you want to go? Uh, let's read down. Let's go ahead and read through verse 15 at least. 15? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's pray before we get into it. Father in heaven, thank you for welcoming us into your household, for being our father, for making us part of something bigger than ourselves, 
so that we can be shaped and molded so our problems can get cleaned up so that we won't remain immature, but rather we can grow up and become more of the people that you made us to be from the beginning. Pray that you be with us today as we talk about your word, Father, that things we say would be true and helpful and would build us all up in the image of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, First Timothy 5. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor the widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to want and pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things that are not proper. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Well, so the first thing that um, jumps out at me here in these verses is that um, that age and gender affect the approach of a minister of God toward the person that the people that you're serving. Um, so if somebody's going to serve and preach and teach, um, the way that that work looks towards a, an older man is different than towards a younger man, towards an older woman is different than a younger woman, et cetera. And, and, and vice versa for, for difference between men and women, how that approach should look like. Um, I guess one question that came to my mind um, when I'm reading this, Ben, and maybe you want to comment on this. Why, why do you think this exhortation is needed or why is it so important um, for somebody who's serving a church to, to maybe uh, have a different approach depending on young and old uh, male or female in terms of who they're serving. Um, why do you think Paul thought this would be important for Timothy to know or important to say to the whole church? You know? Yeah, I don't, that's a great question. I mean, it's just how it works. Like I, I shouldn't talk to older people the same way I talk to younger people. Um, I shouldn't engage in the same kinds of activities with men as with women, you know, depending on whether I'm a man or a woman or whatever. Uh, I do wonder if maybe part of that was just a reminder for Timothy, kind of like some of the stuff we looked at last week from chapter four, which really the stuff in chapter five kind of feels like it just as much belongs in chapter four. Right. Um, but I also wonder if maybe for the church, you know, sometimes people might be offended. Oh, Timothy, why are you not doing X, Y, Z with me? Or why are you acting in this way or that way or whatever? Uh, this might've been a little bit of a protection. Like, well, I'm doing that because, Paul told me this is how I need to act or not act or whatever. Um, I don't really know though, but it is a good reminder, an important thing. And just, it's good to acknowledge the differences that we all have um, as men and women, as old and young, that we're not all that we're not this one homogenous blob of just human beings or something. And I know a lot of times we try to emphasize, and it's probably good to emphasize the sameness of all people, but there's all kinds of differences that people have, um, because in the Bible speaks to that uh, of being men and women, rich and poor, different ethnicities, all those things have an impact on how we relate to each other. Not that we love each other any less, or we look down on each other, or we look up on some people or whatever. But I understand that if people are different than me, 
uh, or the same as me, whatever, that should impact me in a way to love them appropriately and to treat them with respect and dignity in the way that God's designed them and, uh, and designed us all. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I was thinking too. Like, it, it seems like um, Paul is admitting that there is kind of a there is there is a generational gap that happens in life. Like, I mean, there's a difference between um, people who are older and younger, and we see this a lot. And oftentimes, because of the gap between the age and experience and all that, uh, it's hard for I found it's hard for older people to understand younger people. It's hard for younger people to older understand older people. And often what ends up happening is you get these like uh, divides. I, I don't know. I see this maybe as Paul kind of trying to help Timothy kind of bridge that gap. If you're going to be instructing, commanding and um, and preaching and teaching some things to older people. Well, here's how you can do that in a way that's respectful and in a way that's, uh, you know, humble and in a way that actually is going to, you know, uh, give them an opportunity to listen. I think a lot of young people have a lot to offer uh, older people in terms of, uh, their faith, their love for God, their zeal. Um, but oftentimes there's a breakdown between like, uh, between what, what they could offer and what actually gets received because of the, uh, the spirit in which it's given. Uh, and sometimes it comes across as like, you know, critical or harsh of young people can sound critical or harsh of older people. Uh, and the flip side you know, uh, the same thing can happen. Older people can sound the same, same towards, uh, or, um, judgmental towards the younger generation or whatever. It seems like Paul's here is kind of acknowledging with Timothy, you know, Hey, there's going to be, there's going to be, uh, one of the ways you can help to, to keep the church together is to be careful how you treat one another. Um, the same would be true for like brother sister relationships too. Right. I mean, the way I, when I'm thinking right, the way I treat my brother and the way I converse with my brother and the way we talk is different than the way I talk to my sisters. Um, and uh, that should also be true in the family of God. Yeah. The other interesting thing about us, while all he does, and I think we're right to acknowledge like, hey, there's different ways that you're supposed to respond to people depending on if they're male, female, old, young, you know, give respect, you know, give support, the purity, all these things. The framework is the same. I mean, that right. seems to be the one thing he's like, hey, don't forget that old guy, he's not an old guy. He's your brother in Christ. That's right. Uh, and, and really, you should kind of think of him as sort of like a father figure, you know. And that old lady, you should think of her as if she were your own mother. And that woman in the church, she's not a woman, you know. She's your sister in Christ. And that should dictate your behavior. And those men are your brothers. And for those who are Christians, uh, that does allow us to have cross-generational, cross-gender, cross-ethnic uh, cross socio-political, whatever kinds of differences that the rest of the world kind of segregates, you know, for us, there's, there's a unity, not in terms of just ignoring all those differences, but seeing them through the framework of the family in Jesus Christ. And I think that's really important and really radical and really important that we maintain that radically different approach to our relationships. Uh, because that's one of the things Jesus said that was going to stand out the most about Christians in the world is that we have love for each other love between older father figures and younger men, younger men with each other, not seeing each other's competition, but as brothers in arms between men and women, not as um, sexual like uh, prospects, but as brothers and sisters, you know, all that kind of stuff is really super important. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, it, 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 it's easy for there to, to become kind of these, uh, you can get a church where there, there, there's kind of these cliques where you've got the older people hanging out together or it's the older men and then the older women hanging out and then the younger men and the younger women. But it seems like Paul, one of the things that's important to Paul is for, for the church to be one means that there have to be relationships that transcend that divine. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, you know, if you are going to talk to an older man, here's how you do it. It's implied that you're going to be encouraging older men as fathers. It's implied that you're going to be encouraging younger men as brothers, that you're going to have relationships with older women as mothers. And by the way, Paul's an example of that. Um, he writes in Romans to, uh, to and says, greet Rufus, you know, uh, and his mother, who's also my mother, you know. Right. Um, so Paul... Paul treated people that way. And it ought to be in the family of God that some of those things we see in the world, some of those divides that we see in the world disappear as we grow up in maturity and we, and we obey um, the word of Lord and we love, uh, and we love others as we, uh, as we love ourselves. So uh, 
Now, um, so in verse three, then uh, you got anything else in, on the first? Well, I was going to say one thing. It's notable to me that the two things he does seem to highlight is the relationship with older people and with younger women. And here, at least for younger men, he highlights two dangers. One is, I don't know how to characterize the thing with the older men, but disrespect or right. uh, disregard, you know, sharply rebuking, just kind of like almost a competitive, angry kind. Uh, that's a temptation. And also uh, for younger men, I think the reference to uh, dealing with the younger women's sisters and all purity is referring to his sexual chastity with women in the church. So um, sexual misconduct and uh, disrespectful disregard for older men, those seem to be two big dangers that people could fall into. That's just for younger men. If you're an older man, you could put your own set and, and think, I guess the point is whether I'm a man or a woman or I'm older or younger or whatever like category I may fit into, uh, I should think what are the most challenging relationships that I have and how can I really be careful about those in particular to make sure that I don't slip into some sort of temptation that could arise with people of, of, that are different from me. Yeah. No, that's a really good point and really important to think about too. Like in my, in my relationships, I need to make sure I'm being respectful and reverent towards those who are older um, men and women, treating them as fathers and mothers. And, and in my, with, in my relationships uh, with younger, younger brothers and younger sisters, I need to make sure that I'm conducting myself in a way that's going to build up, build up the body of Christ. If I'm a minister, then I'm a servant, uh, which means that my relationship as a brother, um, whether I'm married or single towards others, other sisters in the church is going to be about what's best for them. It's going to be about serving them and building them up. And so I'm going to conduct myself in all purity. I'm going to make sure that I'm careful to protect their purity as well. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to treat them uh, in, in that I wouldn't be comfortable uh, treating, treating a, a sister who's a blood, you know, a flesh and blood sister. Uh, I'm going to treat them in ways that respect them and protect them um, because they're part of God's family um, and they're members of, of the family of God as well. Yeah. yeah. So in verse three, he, he kind of keys in on one particular group here that Paul wants uh, Timothy to pay special attention to. And I think the church pays special attention to um, the widows. Um, and uh, in verse three, um, you notice he says, honor widows who are true, who are truly widows or widows indeed. Um, and uh, he's going to kind of further define what that means. But, but I think it's important for people to understand here that the idea of honor is not just respect them here, but when he talks about honoring them, he, he's talking about taking care of them. Um, providing for them, uh, you know, making sure that they are are not in need, and, and and this would be especially important because often throughout history, widows were the people who would be forgotten or ignored. You know, uh, once your husband passes away and there's nobody to provide for you or to take care of you, um, it's easy for you to become, you know, somebody who's just no longer important, no longer uh, valuable, and often like left aside, alone, and ignored. And, and Paul's making clear that it's not going to be that way in the family of God. Now, if, if, you're, if you've been studying the Bible, even starting back in Genesis, you know that this, is, this should not be surprising. Uh, you know, God is a father of the fatherless, a protector of the widows, um, Psalm 68 says, for example. Um, God gave instructions to his people way back in uh, when they were coming out of Egypt saying, you shall not mistreat any widow or a fatherless child and actually pronounce curses on people who would pervert justice due to uh, widows. So, uh, and in fact, all throughout the Old Testament, God is coming in judgment, uh, sometimes against his own people, like in the book of Malachi, for example, because of how they treated, um, because of how they treated their widows. Uh, so, uh, I think it's important for us to make this connection, though, that in, in um, the new covenant, a big part of the way that God protects the widows is through his church. Mm -hmm. um, James says in James 1 and verse 27, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, in Acts chapter 6, when the church first began, and there were widows, um, you know, in the early church, they were being provided with a daily distribution of food to make sure that they were taken care of. And it's important for us to understand that 
that a big, um, maybe I guess a big litmus test for how we're doing as the people of God uh, is, is not, the, the way to test that is not to look at how do we treat those who are rich and powerful. The way to, to, the way to test that is to look at how do we treat those who are, who are widows and orphans and those who are neglected and those who are vulnerable. Um, that, that's always been true. And so, and so Paul's instructions here, I think are for Timothy, but they're also for the church and they're also for the widows who are in need um, to kind of help, uh, help, help them to figure out how to make sure that widows are taken care of in a way that actually builds up the body of Christ. Um, so let me just throw it to you for a minute. What do you, what do you see in verses three to 16 here that really jumps out at you? What lessons do you uh, notice or, or what, what uh, statements does Paul make there that are helpful for us to think about or teach us something about um, how to care for widows? Well, just as a preliminary before I, I jump in here, um, you know, Brian asked earlier, just as far as kind of a definition of terms, is a widow only a woman whose husband has died? Or also, is that a term used for women that just have never been married? And I, I think, I mean, you've kind of, I think pretty well laid that out, but probably good just for us to explicitly say, this would be a woman who has been married and right. whose husband has died. That's or right. in some way she's been, maybe is bereft of her husband. Maybe he got thrown in prison for life or whatever, whatever the cause may be. She's a widow. She has no one to care for her, basically. That's right. And especially the implication would have been it's more so in that society than today. If somebody if somebody is uh, is is younger or um, they're going to get married, you know, the implication was if at all possible, somebody who is going to be married. Therefore, um, you know, it would be rare to have have somebody who is older and single all their life had never, ever been married before. So the particular need in the church would be for women who had been married, but no longer have a spouse to take care of them, provide for them. And maybe no more family. Like the idea would be you just stay at home with your mother and father and whatever siblings you might have still until you were married. But then after that, maybe your parents have died. Maybe you've moved far away from your family and there's no like social security network really built in place for anyone to take care of you. And here, this is saying in the family of God, that's what we're supposed to be for each other. Which to me, I think kind of speaks to, I mean, you really laid out how God always has, has had this expectation of his people to care for those who are in need. Uh, And especially starting with the household of God, starting with the family of God, making sure that we provide for each other. Yeah. And as, as, as David pointed out there too, we're just imitating Jesus in this. That's what he did in his ministry as well. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to me, uh, there's two overarching things um, without getting into too many of the details here that stand out. One is, and you, you kind of already made the case for this, and just looking at biblically throughout history, how important this is. It's really important. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've never counted exactly how many verses there are in First Timothy. Um, I guess it's probably like 100 something, maybe, uh, maybe 90 something, something like that. Like 15 verses are about this widow's issue. That's a humongous percentage of all the things that Paul was writing about, about how to conduct yourself in the household of God, of all the issues he could have talked about. He spends a huge chunk talking about this. And I think that's just one little example, in addition to all the Psalms and instructions in the Torah for Israel, and of course, other, you know, the model of Jesus himself and instructions in the New Testament about how to treat those who are lowly, those who are outsiders, those who are the widows. This is really, really important. So we shouldn't overlook this. That's one thing that's interesting me. Uh, the other thing to me that stands out is um, the idea of responsibility yeah. of the church to widows, of people within a nuclear family to the widows within their nuclear family first. That seems to be part of what he gets into is, hey, actually, here's the first front lines is I need to take care of those in my own nuclear family. He'll say that phrase at the end of verse uh, at the end of the section about if at all possible, the church shouldn't be burdened, like because right. not because the church doesn't want to help, but because there may be other people who have no other recourse. So the church has to be free in its resources to be able to provide for those who literally have no other need. But beyond the church needing to take responsibility to care for its widows, um, people need to take the responsibility to care for those in their nuclear families. He also speaks about the responsibility of these widows, that there was going to be apparently work for them to do, or there were certain requirements that they had to meet, or younger widows were supposed to deal with their widowhood in different ways than older widows. So everybody, and, and this is such a, it fits in perfectly, the whole family thing we've been talking about at First Timothy, in families, everybody has responsibilities. Everybody has duties that they're supposed to meet. And here we see that, that everybody in God's church are 
supposed to meet their responsibilities. So that's kind of the two things, overarching themes that I see in this is just how important it is and the theme of uh, responsibility, mutual responsibility in, uh, for ourselves and for each other. Which, as you pointed out, is, is really what being in a family is all about, right? Everybody's got a role, everybody's got a responsibility, and we got to make sure that we're doing our part. I love how Paul, you know, and, and it's important for us to remember, too, that these letters uh, were often read to the churches directly. So it's not just like Paul's just talking to Timothy here. I think Paul's saying some stuff here that's directly for Timothy. He's also saying some stuff here that's directly for the widows. And he's off, he's also saying some things here that are directly for uh, other members in the church. Um, and just let's kind of break down here what we see with uh, in the text about a Christian's responsibility. So let's start um, in verse 4, where he says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So one thing that really should stand out here to us is that every Christian, every, every person who's a part of the body of Christ, every saint has a responsibility to uh, take care of their parents and grandparents. It has a responsibility to provide for their own parents and grandparents um, when they are in need. Um, and that only makes sense, right? I mean, if you, th- if you think about it, like uh, my parents and my grandparents are the ones who took care of me for most of my life. So it only makes sense that when they get to, when they return back to that stage in which they're now in need, like, like I was when I came into this world, that I would take up that responsibility of, of making sure that they have everything they need, make sure that they're provided for. Um, and taken care of. And it wouldn't be right for me to say, hey, well, they got the church to take care of them. You know, they got, they got, there's the, the, there's other brethren who can provide for their needs. Um, No, the thing that's pleasing in the sight of God is for me to say, hey, that's my mother. That's my father. That's my grandfather, my grandmother. I'm going to do my part to make sure um, they're taken care of. We ought to think about that financially but not just financially. We ought to think about their spiritual and emotional help too. You know, some people may have more than enough money, um, but, but they may be neglected and lonely and, 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 and uh, forgotten. Um, and, uh, and that can be just as damaging as, as lacking in, 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 in finances as well. Um, but I love that just the idea of personal responsibility um, to take care of my own family. He goes, he says even stronger in verse eight, if anyone does not provide for his, for his own household, for his own relatives, especially the members of his household, um, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty strong language um, that Paul is using there. I mean, I don't know how you could get worse than an unbeliever, worse than a person who's worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that's about right. as bad as it gets um, for in, in Paul's vocabulary. So, uh, so, I mean, this, as you said earlier, this is really critical for us as disciples to make sure we take care uh, of those we are able to. Uh, he takes it even a little further in verse 16, where he says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let not the church be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows indeed. Um, so there's, a, there's a, a distinction made between widows who are real widows, but they have providers around them. And then widows who have no one around them to provide for them. And our first responsibility should, if we have widows in our family, should be to try to take care of those widows so that um, the church doesn't have to be burdened with that, that responsibility. And that distinction, I think, is important to highlight. Uh, Elsa just asked about this. Uh, what do you mean by, quote, truly widows? Do we have to pick who we help? Um, but what you just pointed out is that this text is bringing out the idea that there's who there are those whose husbands have died and there are those who have no one to care for them. And that may be a way to kind of differentiate between widows and truly widows or widows. Indeed, you've got that phrase. Where is it? Verse uh, three, honor widows who are widows. Indeed. Verse five. Now she who is a widow, indeed, or truly a widow and who has been left alone. There's nobody. She's got no kids, no grandkids, no husband, no relatives, nobody to care for. And then again, verse 16 that you just highlighted. So that's the idea is, hey, like someone who is absolutely destitute and has no one to care for them. By the way, I don't think we should be, um, I don't think the implication of this text is that a church is like, well, you got any second cousins who 
maybe have some money in the bank that they could help you out with or what. In other words, we shouldn't be looking for excuses to not help people. But this text does certainly limit the church say, hey, part of the church's job in like disciplining ourselves to grow up into the love of God is to press one another into the kinds of acts of service that we need to be doing, including taking care of those who are close to us. Um, I think another way to think about this, by the way, I don't, I, this is my take, tell me what you think, but I don't think this text is saying that, hey, if there's a woman who has children, but they are unbelievers and they don't care and they're not helping her, then the church isn't allowed to help, you know, because, well, you got kids and First Timothy 5 says, if you got kids, they're the ones who've got to care for you. And if they're not caring for you, sorry, that's just tough. I guess you're going to starve to death and die. Church can't be burdened. I don't think that's the point at all. I think he's actually saying widows who have children who are either Christians or at least are willing to adopt the responsibility, even if they're not Christians, they should be the first line of defense uh, so that they'll learn this really important, well, the way he describes it in verse four of they must learn to practice piety, which piety is usually a word we use to talk about like religious devotion to God. And in practicing piety, what he says is taking care of your parents. And so that's, that's the, that's the ideal, that's the optimal situation. But if a woman doesn't have those people, or if those people in her life refuse to care for her, then the church should be stepping in. We shouldn't use this as a, as a text to excuse ourselves from caring for widows, but we should uh, make sure to follow what this text guides us in to uh, encourage others to practice piety before God and serve God. That's right. That's right. And I think it's it's important for us to say this. It, it's sad that this even needs to be said, but I think I think I've seen um, throughout my short history of life, uh, that sometimes it does need to be, it does need to be said. Um, when, when in verse four, he says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. You know, if I'm not taking care of my own household, um, what does that say about me? And it's sad to me that sometimes you actually will find people who are much more generous toward people outside of their own household than actually the people who are within, like in their own household. I, I think this is a responsibility. Uh, this, is, this is putting the responsibility on me to say, you know what, my first responsibility is to, is to learn to be godly in my own household. That is in taking care of my own family. And if I'm not, if I'm not willing to be godly in my own family, what does that say about me? Um, ultimately, this is, this is not an excuse for the church to, to ignore people who are truly in need. This is, this is the church giving its members an opportunity to learn to show godliness at home. And, and I think that's the way we should think about that. Um, it, it, that ultimately, we, we as disciples should, should not expect other people to do our job of ministering to our own household. We should be eager to serve, eager to love, eager to uh, sacrifice in whatever way to make sure that our own are taken care of. Um, that's our responsibility before God. And, and, to, and too often what we try to do is we try to outsource our responsibility to somebody else. Oh, well, church can take care of that. Government can take care of that. Somebody else can take care of that. When really it should be me taking care of that um, because it's my family who's in need. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about this stuff? I mean, it's interesting while he's um, saying things about, hey, if there's a, a woman who's lost her husband, her family should take on this responsibility. But I think it's worth mentioning. This was one of the, I mean, you already pointed this out that all throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of emphasis on, hey, y'all are not caring for your widows and you're going to be condemned for that. But actually in, uh, in Mark chapter seven, and I think it's Matthew 15, Jesus highlights this as one of the key issues among the, the, the Jewish nation at the time. In other words, the point is, it's easy, even if you're a pretty religious person, to find excuses to not practice this kind of piety, to not practice this kind of compassion, That's even right. with your family, and to find excuses around honoring your father and mother. Uh, that that God maybe around. maybe even more dangerous for religious leaders. I mean that that was that was a big thing that Jesus blasted the religious leaders exactly. for devouring widows' houses. So uh, and and maybe even to the point that I was making a minute ago. Um, it, the more, the more we feel responsible for more people, the more easier it is to neglect the people that God has put us in charge of at home. And, and our priority needs to begin there. And therefore each individual saint in the household of God will not grow up to be a true son of God. Won't grow up in the image of Christ. If we keep on to use the language, which is great, exactly uh, how we think about it, outsourcing it 
to an organization, including the church. Like, oh, well, the church will just take it. Oh, the church will take it. Oh, the church will. Well, at some point, if I'm not taking care of something, if I'm not doing something, I'm not becoming like Christ. I'm not sharing in the character of God. Therefore, I'm never going to be uh, changed, transformed um, to uh, be what God expects me to be. Yeah. So on that, as far as just adopting the kind of character and and maintaining and and progressing in the kind of character that God expects of us, um, what do you make of some of the instructions given to widows here? Uh, Because there's definitely some, hey, here's how you guys should treat your widows. There's a lot about, hey, widows, here's how y'all need to be acting. Period. But especially if you're going to be, if I can say this is kind of bad language, but if you're going to qualify for receiving, um, you know, tangible assistance. Yeah. Here's kind of the lifestyle you need to live. That feels a little weird, I think in some respects, but um, it's, it's actually reads really similar to the instructions given for shepherds and for deacons back in chapter three. Uh, It reads similar to some of the instructions given to Timothy in chapter four, uh, as far as being a minister, a, a teacher, a servant in God's house. And then here we've got this one with, uh, with widows. So what do you make of some of the, the character instructions or some of the expectations that God lays out for, for widows here? Well, again, it, it goes back to this umbrella idea that we keep coming back to in first Timothy, this is the family of God. So if God's family is going to be investing their resources to be able to provide for you and take care of you, then there's a certain kind of character and there's a certain kind of lifestyle um, that you ought to live. Everybody contributes some way. I think is the idea. If you're not, if you're in need financially and other people are having to serve you in that way, well, then you contribute in other ways. You keep your hope in God. You continue in prayers and supplications day and night. Um, you make sure that you're not living in self-indulgence, uh, that you're living a life that is above reproach and, and you're doing good works. Um, you know, you make sure that you're, you've, you've proven yourself uh, taking care of children and, and, and entertaining and providing for strangers and washing the feet of the saints. I think the idea being that you've, you've proven yourself as a servant, somebody who uh, is bringing relief to the oppressed. As I think about all this, it's a way of kind of uh, keeping the church pure and holy and, and also making sure that the church takes this responsibility seriously. It's not like the church is just supposed to throw uh, money and provisions at every person who comes and asks for it. Um, I think that's one thing that should probably be said here. Just because somebody is in need doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they should be provided for by the church. Um, Because there are some people that are in need uh, because of their uh, ungodliness or because of their idleness or because they're refusing to work. Um, and I think that's why some of the disqualifi- disqualifiers here are mentioned. Not a young woman. No, let her go and remarry and find a husband um, who, who can take care of her. Not somebody who's living in self-indulgence. That is, don't use, the, don't use God's uh, resources and the, and the family of God's resources to be uh, providing for somebody to just live a selfish and luxurious and self-indulgent life, um, you know. Uh, and then somebody who's not able to be provided for by the family, somebody who's not a busybody or a gossip, don't be enabling people to go out and do evil, like, and do things that are actually harmful to the, to the family of God. So as you, as you mentioned, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to hear that's said about the character of these widows themselves. I think to just be a reminder to them, like, Hey, you need to pursue this kind of character and you need to live this kind of life if you're get, if you're being provided for by the family of God. And then also for the church to say, hey, you know, we need to be careful about how we use the resources that are the Lord's. Make sure they're used in a way that actually builds up the body of God and provides for those who are truly in need, not enabling people to go on living selfish or sinful lifestyle. Yeah. And I think some people may hear that and they're like, ooh, what? Like, there's requirements for who can receive financial aid. Isn't church supposed to be a place of compassion and love and all that sort of thing? Uh, And I think it it would be easy to be like, well, Jesus never did this kind of stuff. Like Jesus just helped people. Well, that's not true um, because Jesus would specifically leave places sometimes whenever everybody wanted him to do miracles, to heal or whatever. And he'd be like, actually, I got to go somewhere else. In John chapter six, there were a, a group of people that, the day before Jesus had fed, they come back the next day and they wanted more food. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to give you food today. Uh, 
and, and in both of those kind of little anecdotes about Jesus, the reason wasn't because he didn't have compassion or he didn't have love, but it was really to what you were saying is that he saw there was a higher need than for people to be healed of their physical infirmities. There was a higher need than people to be fed. There was uh, the shaping of the soul that was a more critical need and that he had a greater compassion for the shaping of people's souls and the character and of their eternal destiny, as opposed to satisfying temporary needs. And it seems to me that's what a lot of the, I mean, you kind of laid it out already, but a lot of the, the instructions that are given are protections as much for the church. I mean, it would be kind of a bummer if like the church was uh, putting the bill for a lady who it turns out was acting crazy out here and, and misbehaving and sinning. That's a bad look for the church, but it actually doesn't seem it's so much, Oh, we don't want the church to be embarrassed by some you know foolish woman. No, no, that's not, that's not actually the emphasis. I mean, verse five, the kind of woman, the kind of widow that the church be helping is someone who's fixed her hope on God, um, but not someone, verse six, who gives herself to wanton pleasure and will be dead even while she lives. We may keep her alive. We may feed her and house her and do all this great stuff, but she's still dead because she's giving into a bunch of sins. And we may just be kind of enabling that. Um, and then if you go down to what is it? Verse uh, 11, he speaks to the same kinds of things. He says, hey, there are some younger widows that if they're not older, that's one of the kind of really clear markers of the, the, a woman who might meet the qualifications, if we can say that, to be financially supported by the church. She's got to be at least 60 years old. The reason being that younger widows, and we may see that as kind of arbitrary. Look, again, this is God's house, not our house. So he's kind of the one who sets the, the terms and the rules and stuff. Um, but a younger widow feasibly could go out there and provide for herself, marry again, perhaps, whatever it may be. And if there was a younger widow who was just being provided for, she may be tempted to fall into, he says, uh, sensual desires in disregard of Christ in verse 11, uh, verse 12, incurring condemnation. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to comment at all right now on like the whole pledge thing. If you want to say some stuff about that, I'll leave that to you. But verse 13, he talks about being idle, going house to house, being gossips, all the stuff we've mentioned. In other words, the point is, is we've got to have a higher standard for what we care about in our relationships. This kind of goes back to verses one and two. That older man is not an older man. He's my brother in Christ. That younger woman is not a younger woman. She's my sister in Christ. I have to have a higher evaluation of other people because of what Christ has done for me. And similarly, the way we treat each other and in how we assist each other, uh, the assistance that we give to each other is really to push each other closer to God, to push each other deeper into Christ, uh, to push each other further in the ways that the Spirit of God is carrying us and not, not be caught up in the things of the world. And I think this is one of the radical and beautiful things about the Christian family and uh, what God's built in his household is that we have a totally different standard of what really makes for a good life. It's not about food and clothing and a house and all that kind of stuff. It's about being shaped into the image of the sun. That's what this whole thing's about. And this is one of the very clear sections that shows that and kind of continues that legacy that Jesus, and you could argue God started way back with the children of Israel and beyond, but certainly the legacy of Jesus um, setting a higher standard than immediate needs, looking to eternal needs and, and more uh, uh, things that are deeper. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Everything that is done to provide for the temporal and physical needs here is meant to uh, also provide and stir up um, their spiritual needs and growth to make sure that their, their spiritual needs are, are taken care of. And so... Um, you're not going to, you're, you know, we talk about this in other areas, like for example, with the uh, church leaders in Ephesians four, they're, um, they're called to equip the saints for the work of service. But what happens in a lot of churches is, is, is the leaders end up enabling people, um, to not do any service whatsoever because the leaders do all the serving and all the work for them. Um, and the same thing I think can happen here. Like if, if a church is not careful about the way they use their resources, um, you may end up enabling people to, uh, to do all sorts of uh, selfishness, um, all sorts of harm to the, to the name of, of Christ or to the body of Christ. Um, and that's not the way this is meant to be used. This is actually meant to be used to provide for them so that they can continue to build up the body of Christ through devoting to themselves to prayer and to good works and to, and to the service of, uh, of the saints. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, just big picture, that's why you see all these careful instructions is in the church of God, every, every decision, every action is meant 
to build up the body of Christ. And, and that's, that, that goes for how the church uses its, its, its finances, its money. That goes for how the church conducts itself in conversations. Uh, that goes for every action or every word that's spoken, everything that's taken within the church is meant to build up the body of Christ. And so if a widow is, meets these qualifications, then, then she should be enrolled. Um, I guess there was some sort of list that they would put them on as, as these are the people who are regularly going to be taken care of um, and make sure that their needs are, are provided for. Um, and this is, these are the ones that the church is going to make sure that they're provided for. But again, not every widow would fall in that case because many of them had other means of being provided for. Or if the church was to provide for them, it wouldn't have been helpful for them uh, in terms of their own faith or their own uh, relationship toward God. Yeah. Yeah. And I only want to like dip my toe in a tiny, tiny way into this. But I think this, this text also implies that whenever there were widows who were enrolled, put on that list, there was some sort of responsibility that went along with that. And that's as far as I'm willing to go. I don't know what that means exactly. And I don't, maybe it's, uh, it's something that's left vague so that churches can figure that out, um, you know, in their context in particular, but right. to me, verses 11 and 12 indicate that, that this list was uh, something special and an honor to these widows to be cared for in this way by the church, but also they had some sort of duties and responsibilities in uh, helping in the service of the, of God's people. Again, I, I don't know what that means exactly. And I'm not willing to go any further. You may know more stuff about that. Um, but I do think that's something significant that here, even now, we keep coming back to this idea of, hey, listen, like the church has a duty uh, to its members, but also the members have duties to each other. And, and we should um, take those seriously. Again, this is so it's, it's so interesting to me. I've never done this before, but I've thought about it this time in our, our read through. It'd be really interesting to go through and just make kind of a chart that has different columns. Right. Um, um, elders from chapter three. Here's the instructions. Deacons. Here's the instructions from chapter three. A, a minister, a preacher, teacher, chapter four. Here's the instructions. And then widows, the stuff from chapter five. And just look at it because really what I think you see is, is so much parallel and overlap in these, which I think is pretty intuitive, but it'd be interesting. I think there's probably a lot of really specifically similar instructions that are given. And what you'd see is really all these people, whether it's a widow who's on the list, a minister, a uh, deacon, or a shepherd, an elder, all these people are supposed to be setting the pace for the rest of the church. All these people are supposed to be um, setting examples for right. people to see how to imitate um, the image, uh, the character of Christ himself. And that's what we're going for. And that's what we're trying to encourage amongst ourselves and in all that we do and all the relationships and all the uh, people, the different offices, the different um, uh, roles that we fill in Christ. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and I think it, the point that you made about uh, the the widows having a responsibility to the church, I mean, that should go without saying, but probably doesn't. Um, you know, ultimately, we need to understand, like, hey, we all have responsibilities to each other. And I do think it can happen that as you get up older in years, it's easier to say, well, you know what, my time is past to serve, my time is past to, to work. Um, but, you know, some of the most faithful and devoted and, and important servants that I know in the kingdom of God are women in their 70s or 80s or 90s. Um, and, and some of them, it's just because they devote themselves. They labor in prayer and supplications night and day on behalf of the church. The same kind of instruction that is given here. Um, you know, some of it's because they've, they've decided to use their retirement or their, uh, their time uh, alone at home to, uh, to, to devote themselves to good works in the service of the saints. And, and so it's important for us to realize like, hey, we all have responsibilities to one another. In a family, it's always that way, right? Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a responsibility. Therefore, we're going to use those in ways that, uh, that build up one another and, and, and strengthen one another. Yeah. And strengthen the body of Christ. So. Yeah. Um, so at least it would mean that, you know, the, the woman on the list is, is not somebody just sitting around watching Netflix or soap operas at home all day. Like this is somebody who's engaged in the service and the ministry of the work of the Lord uh, and using whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever energy and strength she has left to, uh, to do the work of God. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of questions here that I think are worth us um, just kind of throwing out maybe some things maybe we've kind of circled a little bit, maybe not quite pinned down and they're, they're kind of overlapping. So I'm just going to throw them out. Brian says, uh, I think also if a younger woman was in need, we should feed her, et cetera, be measuring whether her kids are helping her, et cetera. 
and how much we would need to help her. I guess this would be in response to the question of like, okay, wait, is this, is this text basically saying, uh, don't help someone who isn't 60 years old, who hasn't, you know, met all these requirements, never with all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and Elsa, there's kind of a, a similar one. She says, I guess this should apply to a man who lost his wife and is left with young children to care for. Um, so I think one thing that's important, I'll just kind of kick this off. And if you want to add on some stuff here, um, I don't believe this text is teaching that the only people that the church can aid out of its, out of its uh, collective resources, whatever those may be, if they're financial resources or whatever, that it only could be utilized for women who've lost their husband who are 60 years old or older. Uh, I don't think that's the point. But what I do think is that this is kind of speaking of that, that the whole list thing being that, hey, on a regular basis, the church is providing for this individual and they have some sort of um, you know, acknowledgement from the church or responsibility in the church, whatever that may mean in terms of day-to-day activities and stuff. Um, that's supposed to be reserved for a very select uh, type of person that meets these kinds of qualifications. But yeah, I think it's fair to say that if there was a man who was in need, whose children weren't caring for him and he didn't have anybody to care for him and he was unmarried, that the church would be like, oh, sorry, man, only widows. God only cares about widows, not widowers. You're a guy. So tough for you. I don't think that's the point at all. Um, it's just typically that wasn't the case. So there was no need to address it because more often than not, it was women who were in this circumstance, not men at this time. But in our day and age where medical technology and work life and military service has changed, it is kind of just as likely there may be a man who's left in this kind of situation. Uh, maybe not as likely, but it's more likely that a man might face that. So uh, I think what we see here is there's, there's some definite um, parameters that we can't cross. There's also some principles here that guide other similar types of situations that arise, like an older man or like even a man who, you know, whatever, maybe he gets paralyzed in a car accident and his wife dies and there are three kids who are with the babysitter. He's got to figure out how to care for him. He doesn't have any family. Well, I don't think this passage precludes the church from taking up responsibility to care for that man who's now paralyzed at home and his wife has passed away and you know, he's got three kids to take care of. This text is saying, nope, church can't help, but it does give us principles for how to determine that right. uh, and how to ensure that that man doesn't any help that the church does provide, whether it's sort of regular assistance or temporary or one time, whatever it may be, that it doesn't actually result in that man's condemnation and becoming a worldly man and giving up on the faith. Similarly, whether it's a younger widow, whatever, um, there are other similar situations aren't exactly what's being talked about here, that this gives us some guiding principles that we should, uh, we should take from. That's, that's at least my take on some of these, because we can come with all kinds of scenarios that aren't exactly this, and I don't think what we see from the rest of the New Testament, that means church shouldn't help. Just the opposite, actually. Right. Uh, Galatians 6.10 comes to mind. Um, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those belong, who belong to the family of believers. Um, there's a responsibility to make sure all those who are in need in the body of Christ, who are faithful servants of Christ, are taken care of. Uh, the only exceptions to that would be if somebody is idle or unwilling to work, if it's a man who's unwilling to work and able, um, then in that case, the church has a different responsibility for how to help that brother. Um, and it's not to be just providing for him so that he can be lazy or a bum. Um, it's it's, it's to, uh, to discipline him and to encourage him to, to work hard. Uh, but absolutely, I mean, certainly this, this uh, the thing that, Peter, that, that Paul is describing here is a specific list of widows who are going to be taken care of on, a, on an ongoing basis. That seems to be the picture that's portrayed here. And, uh, and so there are certain qualifications for that. It's not, it's not to say that there aren't other people that, won't be, that, that will not need to be provided for at a time in the church of God. Certainly there will be. And, and, and we are right. And, and, and it would be wrong to not provide for those uh, brothers and sisters as they have needs um, in the family of God. And this is where, you know, every time we get on these studies, we're focused on a really particular portion of text. And, and we usually kind of extrapolate out things uh, from that text. And a lot of times that's because there's other teachings in the New Testament that we're not getting into. This isn't really a Bible study about church resources per se. That's what we've ended up talking about a lot. But in order to really fully uh, consider this, um, and anybody who wants to uh, explore it more, has questions about this, reach out to us, send us a message. We can talk about it some more. But look, I mean, if you're going to think about this, you got to go to Acts chapters two through like six to see how the church handled 
uh, needs among its members. Uh, Acts 20 and 21, where that was that happened again. Passages like 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and Romans chapter 15, where Paul lays out his plans to collect money from churches in order to provide for needy saints in other churches, where there's no real like male or female, old or young, just needy saints who faced famine. Oh, I think I forgot about Acts 11. That's another example of Christians caring for other Christians um, financially and in terms of resources and stuff. So there's a, there's a legacy all throughout the New Testament of God's people facing uh, pressing needs is the language or language that may refer to something like this in Titus. Um, and then God's people answering the call to care for each other as a family. And that's the whole thing. I do think what this text uh, it one of the clear limitations of this text and all those other texts that we pointed out I, limitations maybe the wrong way to say it uh, parameters maybe uh, duties is every time you see one of these texts about financial aid coming from the church on a collective level it's always going to saints and at first I think it seems like sort of an exclusive thing like oh man we don't want to help any non-christians no no I mean look what I do personally I should help every person I meet whenever I have opportunity you read that passage in Galatians 6 as an individual person, whenever I have opportunity, I should help all men, especially those in the household of faith, but all men, everybody, anybody who's in need, I should be willing to help if I have opportunity to do so. Um, but whenever the church gets together and pools its resources, uh, like in those passages we just kind of outlined, it's exclusively for Christians. And I don't think that's because, oh, we're more important than everybody else. But actually, it's, uh, it highlights the fact that the help we're supposed to be uh, receiving and giving as, uh, as a family should be within the context of a relationship. In other words, God didn't put the church up on earth to be a financial aid institution. And frankly, that's kind of what um, a lot of people think of churches for, you know, mm-hmm. is maybe a place where I go get some sort of education or inspiration if I'm in trouble um, or for financial aid. That's what it's all about. Here, it's clear it's the, 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 the way resources were shared among God's people was in the context of a relationship. They had to actually know if this woman washed saints' feet, did good deeds, was godly, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and you could go on and on in other passages where it's the same thing. Because our sharing of resources is supposed to bond us closer together, like you've kept saying through this discussion, to build each other up, to be like Christ and to do the mission that Christ has put us on in the world, put us in the world for to promote his gospel so that more and more people will be saved, not from the temporary needs of food and clothing and housing and all that kind of stuff, which are real needs. It's not something we should brush over, but those are not the things we're here to fix. There's something past that. That's why Jesus would say, no, I'm not feeding you. No, I'm not going to heal those people because I got something else. I got a bigger project that I'm on. And any of those little things that I'm doing are really only, um, things that I do in the service of that larger project. And that's what God's people have to keep in focus as well is whatever resources we bring together to care for each other. It's within the context of relationships where we're building each other up to push people closer to God so that we can all do our work with outsiders of telling them, Hey, come to Jesus, come find the refuge in him, not just for right now, but for forever. And again, this just comes back to where we began this whole study on that we are the household of God, right? If anyone doesn't provide for his own household, he's denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. So my first responsibility is to my household. Well, then my responsibility extends from there to the household of God. And in the household of God, this is how we're going to work to make sure that everybody gets taken care of. That that uh, that the privileges that come with being part of the household come also with responsibilities to make sure we take care of one another and provide for one another. We should probably stop there today. Uh, There's much more to say about uh, Paul's letter to Timothy and probably even this text that we looked at today. So feel free to continue to comment and uh, and share your thoughts or questions in the uh, chat. And we'll try to cover them either uh, via chat or uh, next week when we come back together. God willing. So I don't know. You got anything else to add before we wrap? No, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it very much. But thanks for all the good questions and engagement, as always, and good comments and observations. It's really encouraging and helpful. Um, and whatever you need, if you're if you're sitting there and you got some kind of question about either a text like this or other issues, or just whatever you're trying to do to get closer to God, let us know. You don't. We're not just trying to put these Bible studies out just to do that. We're trying to um, do all we can to help each other serve God and know God better. Actually, whenever we get off this call, we're going to be going and 
uh, meeting with someone who wants to be baptized into Christ, which is awesome. And that's, and there's all kinds of things like that, whatever, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, whatever you may need, um, let us know how we can help you out. That's what we're trying to do. So uh, reach out to us either here on the website or text us or email us or whatever, and uh, we'll do whatever we can or find somebody else who can do something for you uh, to help you find what you're looking for in the Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys. See you next time. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.